Hey everybody, I'm Terry Slather, the Vice President of Sales at EPMI, and welcome to EPMICast. Today we're going to be talking to a group of our own consultants who've worked on multiple projects in the manufacturing industry. They're going to share a little insight about the lessons learned, the efficiencies gained, and how they've helped the office of the CFO do things just a little bit better using technology and some improvements in their processes. So let's meet the team, shall we? Hey, Nihar. Hey, Terry. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing well. I'm really excited today. We've got a, an exciting conversation. I brought here with me our team from the consulting organization. So um, my name is Nihar Parikh. I'm a co-founder and CEO here at EPMI based out of Houston, Texas. And I've been working with IPM products since 2008. Um, you know, been in the consulting space since I graduated college. And, you know, we, we started EPMI back in 2012 as a firm focused really on Oracle Hyperion and Oracle EPM solutions. And, you know, here today we're talking about, like as Terry mentioned, some manufacturing success. And, um, you know, before we get into that, we'll continue with the intro. So Chen, you want to take it away? Hey, this is Chen Lin. I'm the VP of technology at EPMI, and I've been designing, developing, and building solutions uh, for the planning budgeting space uh, for many manufacturing customers since about 2012. Awesome. Thanks, Chen. Carissa? Yeah, hi, I'm Carissa Jones. I'm a senior consultant at EPMI, and um, I've been working and implementing uh, planning and ARCs and financial close um, for the past two years. And I've been working in, you know, across all industries, but uh, I've also had several clients in the manufacturing industry, so I'm excited for this podcast today. Awesome, and last but not least, on the in the room at least, we have Brett McDaniel. Brett? Yeah, Brett McDaniel, I'm a consultant with EPMI. Prior to coming to EPMI, I worked in a corporate accounting. So the last year I've been a consultant with EPMI and we've I'm specialized in account reconciliations and I've done uh, implementations for manufacturing clients. So happy to be here today. Thanks, Brett. And out of Denver, Colorado, we have Fletcher. Fletcher, can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, hey, Nihar. Uh, happy to be here today. Uh, part of the sales team over here at EPMI. I started my career uh, down in Austin, Texas for Oracle, but transitioned to the partner implementation side about two years ago. So excited to see what we can learn today. All right. Thanks, Fletcher. Let's just dive right in, guys, because I know we got a lot to cover and, um, you know, we want to make sure that we get through everything. So, um, so Chen, let's start with you. So uh, I know, hey, so I know that, um, you know, you've been with EPMI quite some time. You've been in the space for a while. What are some of the trends that you're seeing with manufacturing customers? Do you feel like, you know, post COVID there's um, maybe a, a greater emphasis? I mean, I know what I see in the news and things like that is that we're, we tend to be um, making a lot of strides toward trying to manufacture more in the United States. And that's causing a lot of companies to rethink their supply chains, the way they manage, you know, their inventory. I mean, what are your customers actually seeing in the real world? I mean, certainly with the COVID situation and everything in and like, generally everyone being in this like just in time type of mindset mindset where you just, um, you know, ordering parts as you need them. That really hasn't panned out with COVID and how that's worked out. So. Now it's it's really more about finding what if scenarios so we can really figure out um, oh what if we have another black swan event um, how do we plan for that how do we model that how do we put that into our forecasts so that's that's really the challenge that we've been trying to address these, uh, at least this year yeah no I can totally relate I know that when we were selling on-premise solutions 
um, trying to get the business to buy into something like a strategic model was always a, a nice to have a wish list, something that the, you know, the largest companies with huge budgets could afford. So, I mean, is that still the case with the cloud or how are you able to get some of that what if modeling and some of the new tool, tool sets that we have today? Yeah, cloud certainly democratized that, right? There's no big hulking servers that you have to set up for all this. So we've got you know smaller customers, larger customers, they're all using the same infrastructure that's kind of um, obscured from them, right? They just go to the URL, log in, and do what they need to do. Yeah, and, s and speaking of you know the different sizes of customers, Carissa, you recently came from Apache, a very large company, and I'm now at a you know obviously a much smaller company. Um, so, what are some of the notice things that you've noticed that you know some of the larger clients that you have versus the smaller clients of manufacturing have in terms of how they're managing their you know, their planning and budgeting, or what are the things that they f like to focus on? I know you were at a large manufacturer based out of the Chicago area, and they had um, some very complex revenue um, calculation processes, workforce planning. Can you talk about some of that? Yeah, so um, that client um, had, you know, was on-prem with Hyperion, and we moved them to the cloud, and, you know, they had a very rust, uh, robust application with a lot of, um, they had revenue planning, and you know, P&L planning and then workforce planning and uh, they're a big international company and a lot of the things they were doing with on-prem also included a lot of manual spreadsheets and Excel and, um, you know, it was just a very uh, cumbersome process. So moving them over to the cloud and then everyone also being remote uh, really had a huge effect on them um, in a positive way going to the cloud and, um, you know, they're an international company, so being able to utilize the tools and the applications that we've built for them uh, in the cloud help their business processes flow and helped um, you know everyone internationally be able to work together for their budgeting and forecasting processes. Yeah, well, that's amazing because I know that you know at the beginning of COVID when you know we had a lot of um, you know customer conversations and they were asking us well how did you guys adapt to a remote working situation and what are some of the things that you had to do or how are you planning for this and you know it was funny because we had always had a remote working capability we were already right. zoom clients we um, had a, a, a pretty much a, a probably a 40 or 50 percent remote um, schedule going into customers uh, in the couple of years before COVID and now you know that we're 100% remote we've delivered several projects some of these that you guys are talking about 100% remote successfully on time yep. and I think that there's um, there's a lot to be learned you know because I feel like when we were so accustomed to traveling and and seeing people face to face that video definitely helped out with that it's kind of some of the inspiration for this podcast today but how do you keep that same level of you know customer interaction especially when you've got multiple teams that are overseas um you know i know that brett you were working at western digital for a while and they had um you know a very large team to interact with you were leading some of the final phases of the implementation there can you talk about how uh, you guys were able to deliver successfully during covid yeah we did that whole project uh 100 remote so uh, they were based out of west coast uh, in California and then they had teams in Asia Malaysia all over and yeah we just had a lot of you know zoom meetings with them you know we, we did all our uh, 
build, our design, our training, our testing, all remote. And yeah, it all went really well. Yeah. So do you guys find that like, even though the, we can deliver projects remotely, that customers are still able to manage and use their systems remotely? Um, I mean, this is an open Absolutely. question for anybody if you're on yeah, Zoom call. Yeah, for sure. They no longer have to log into a server or go through like some extra network and, you know, it's just a URL you, you go to and you can access your application from anywhere and anyone can update data or, um, you know, create metadata or anything. I'm not going to get too technical, but, you know, it's made it so much easier to really work from anywhere. Yeah, it's been a game changer, right? Like yeah. you can use your iPad, you can use your phone. You don't necessarily have to be tied to your company laptop. Um, you know, those new Teslas with the big touchscreens, if they have a browser, I think you can get to the cloud from there too. Wow. Well, we actually heard from quite a few customers as the pandemic first rolled out, um, like existing EPMI customers, they already had cloud tools in place before COVID hit and they were feeding information back to us of how glad they were that they were already on cloud because they could very easily with a, a flip of mentality, um, close the books remotely, start a planning cycle completely remotely. So even those that were already on the cloud um, were thinking, gosh, I'm really glad we already did this. Yeah, I think uh, Western Digital even knocked a couple days off their account reconciliations uh, process. I mean, they were completing them a couple days earlier than they were previously. Wow, that's, that's incredible. Um, so I'm really curious about some more detail because we talked, you know, one of the goals for this podcast was to get some depth into these projects. So maybe we'll focus on the business processes because I know that we have some good lessons learned across the entire manufacturing industry. So maybe we start off with um, some planning and budgeting because, um, you know, Chen and Carissa, you guys have completed several projects during COVID. And, you know, it seems like there's a higher emphasis on planning and forecasting in general, just of what we know based on things that you mentioned, Chen, like supply chain planning or, you know, the what if scenario planning. So um, can you talk about a recent planning project and, you know, what some of their, um, I guess, priorities were, uh, were for um, their specific industry? Yeah, like speaking more generally, um, the customer that, that Carissa mentioned earlier in Chicago, um, there's a big emphasis there on really finding uh, true costing um, and going really specifically down to like the, the product item, the SKU level, the customer level, and really dialing that in at a very detailed level. Uh, so with, with the functionalities that we were able to provide, uh, we're working with EPM Cloud, uh, we're able to do that and improve their importance at the same time. Yeah. So what? Let's let's go a little bit deeper, right? So what are some of those things and functionality that really were specific to um, the project? I know that you know we we implement EPM Cloud, and there's a lot of solutions, even Excel, that can probably do the same thing. But um, do they have any um, you know different use cases from like a, a customer that or that's maybe in the retail industry or or higher ed? Like how do they do their planning different in manufacturing for revenue? I would say, yeah, so if you're looking at other industries, um, the revenue planning isn't necessarily that complex, right? Um, it's it's going to be around the similar dimensions or categories as your expenses generally. 
Uh, with manufacturing, we often see that they want to see uh, plant detail, customer detail, SKU detail, um, you know, warehouse detail. There's many different little pieces of nuance where we often have to break out the revenue into its own little model that feeds back up to the income statement. Yeah, because yeah. I know that even working with oil and gas clients, sometimes they're, what we realize is that some of the pre-built frameworks that we have don't always quite fit the, the specific nuances of, of the way they plan. Right. And so we have to you know, do a little bit of, um, of homework and also look into our past on-premise implementations around how we can better capture the types of specific metrics they're looking for and the way that they manage and think about their business. Yeah, I can add to that. Um, just because coming from the oil and gas industry, um, and then it is kind of similar to manufacturing in the way that they do their planning and budgeting. I mean, they get their their actuals in, and they want them daily almost. I mean, they want to see like live actuals, um, you know, cash flow data, revenue data, and if they're getting that data at such a granular level, then they want to be able to plan at that level too. So the cloud um, and EPM planning allows for that granularity planning, and so you're not working with a ton of spreadsheets or big models. You know, everything just goes into the cloud, and you know, we might have to customize and build custom calculations to allocate for the planning purposes, but all of that, that, that is very doable within the cloud, and then you're not, you know, having links missing out of spreadsheets or things getting lost. It's all there. Yeah, no, I know that um, especially, you know, that's, a, I think, a great segue for the close, right? Because as we, we get, we, you know, we have accounting organizations that embark on a formalized close process every month or every quarter, every year, having those updated actuals on a daily, daily or even multiple times a day, you know, during the close would make a lot of sense because there's such a high volume business a lot of external market indicators around, you know, um, prices of oil or gas or natural gas and or even like the inputs that are going to the manufacturing model. Um, Brett, you also worked a lot in manufacturing um, and then your recent customer around had to implement some tools that related to the close. I mean, is that what you've seen too is that they're they're getting more and more so real time with their data focus rather than waiting until, you know, month end numbers are finalized? Yeah, for sure. That, uh, that real-time data is so important to, you know, upper management and to be able to see where they are against, you know, plan and be able to see it early early in the month instead of, you know, it being a shocker at the end of the month when they don't when they don't hit their budget or something. So, yeah, that 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 real-time data is really, really nice to have. Yeah. And I think in general, I mean, when I talk to customers, I've, I've noticed the same is that people are and, and especially when, when you're publicly traded and you've got multiple stakeholders and investors and, 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 and other interest groups, you want to have a predictable forecast more so than a necessarily positive or negative forecast, right? So it's all about setting expectations and meeting them with some predictability. And in an industry like oil and gas that's had you know, some massive fluctuations in uh, prices and, and overall output in recent decades, uh, that becomes extremely important and then recently with things like tariffs affecting you know, raw material inputs or you know, um, the, the global economy kind of changing the way we're trading, I, I can definitely see how manufacturing and logistics take a huge, um, a huge um, uh, or put a place a huge importance on planning and, and changing their models to accommodate. 
Um, great stuff. So, um, you know, let's let's dive a little bit deeper now into some of the clothes and, and reconciliation stuff. So, you, Brett, you, something you said earlier really stuck out to me. You mentioned that, um, you know, they were able to really shave off a lot of time in their monthly processes. Can you talk more about that? And do you have any, like, you know, um, metrics or things that, you know, we heard from the customer that we could, um, you know, take as a, as a kind of like... Um, as, as feedback and in, in terms of how we expect other projects to run as yeah, well. Yeah, with the account reconciliations, you know, they just, they were able to auto automate a lot of recs where they, where they auto reconciled, you know, if there was a zero balance or we wrote some rules around other recs where they'd auto reconcile and, and it just brought all their account reconciliations together on one platform instead of in the past where they had, you know, Excel, other products, and I think the CAO was actually having to fly around to actually review all the recs. So it really brought everything just to the one platform and everybody, it was one uniformed uh, way of looking at the recs. And I know, yeah, they mentioned how their first couple closes with uh, the account rec tool where they had every, every one of them complete, every one of their reconciliations was complete a couple days uh, earlier than even the due dates. So yeah, it really, it really made life easier for them with their account reconciliation process. Yeah, and it's, I know it's hard to make account reconciliation sound exciting, so you did a great job. But <laughs> at the same time, you know, I think it is really important to know how much of, a, of, a, of an impact you can create in someone's life just by making their lives easier and taking a manual process out of their job. And, you know, if you're a CPA or you spend a lot of years going to school, I think reconciling Excel spreadsheets is probably the last thing you thought you'd be doing with your career, right? So For sure. um, it's, it's incredible that you're able to just give someone time back in their day to focus on some higher value activities. I think that's, that's really what makes this exciting, you know, and just, you know, everybody's worried about the robots coming for their jobs, but I feel like the robots are just going to make our lives easier. Exactly. Wait, did, yeah. Did you know, what's cool about us doing this podcast, we're actually able to, you know, make real some of these LinkedIn buzzwords, robotic process automation, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Um, Brett, I want to turn it back to you to talk some about some of the manufacturing inventory specific account reconciliation use cases. You know, we typically see account reconciliation really as a tool just within an ERP or just, you know, looking at bank balances, but Western Digital looks at things a little bit differently. Yeah, good point. I was actually going to bring that up, Fletcher. Uh, they, uh, they obviously integrated uh, their in inventory subledger to reconcile their GL balance against. And actually, like the US and uh, the Asia team actually had different inventory subledgers that they were using out of Cloud ERP. And we were able to uh, take both different subledgers and integrate them and suit the clients, not just suit the client's needs, but suit each region's needs by reconciliation. So yeah, it was it re really benefited them so that localization is that a part of you know what most customers implement or do you think that it was unique to them and their requirements i don't know chen you've also worked a lot of global companies do you think that localization is becoming increasingly important yeah certainly we want to be able to relate to each um, business unit as they are in their geography right like uh, one of the things that we've seen is like they want to be able to plan in their own language, uh, not necessarily having to use English, not necessarily having to use U.S. dollars, right? Um, being able to support multi-currency, uh, bringing in their own exchange rates, um, and really trying to make this a distributed 
um, plan where they actually own their components and then report back up to a, a central uh, point. Yeah, totally. It's a good so, point because we talk about connected planning a lot. And when we talk about connected planning, we're usually talking about connecting all the different lines of business that are involved in planning. But I think it's uh, important to remember that we have to connect planning geographically too. Yeah. So geographically, I mean, now that we have really no borders with, with, with Zoom, um, it's going to be interesting in how we, um, you know, we, we become, we kind of share more common language when it comes to planning, you know, things are more integrated. We're speaking, you know, really across silos and across lines of business so that, you know, finance and accounting, you know, they may have um, previously not shared the models they were using or the type of dimensionality or metadata, um, you know, I mean, we hear a lot about some other tools and some of the other approaches on having one, you know, data model to manage both consolidations and planning. I'm curious what uh, you guys think on that and, and how that actually plays out in the real world. Yeah, I, I can dig into that. So uh, when I think of consolidations, it's really focused on accurately closing your books, right? So being able to certify that you have your actuals in order, whether you have four different charts of accounts or one. Um, but when people are planning, though, they, they may not have those exact same categories of analysis that they need. So we, we see that need to split between um, certifying our actuals versus being able to be flexible, look at drivers and do various what if forecasts. So it's almost like there's a statutory plan that it has to be a part of the GL because we've got, you know, um, let's say we're. A, a public university or maybe a public sector um, organization where we have to provide some detailed funding and then reporting back to each GL account. But then there's also this notion of planning that's more business specific around, you know, what are some true business driver changes that are happening? And I mean, they may not always map to a chart of accounts that's predefined, you know, many years ago that's meant to report our, our statutory reporting, right? So, um, I think I can see how, you know, it makes sense to have a common platform, but perhaps many data models or, or different data models, depending on the use case. Well, if you think about it um, with FP&A, you want some flexibility, right? You want to be able to adapt to a different line of business and their needs. Um, the last thing you want in closing the books is flexibility, right? You want that to be a really rigid and and set process so that everybody can trust the numbers um fpna is a little more art um you don't usually use the word art to the corporate controller yeah. right. well, i can elaborate on that i mean i think that we've seen with some of the smaller clients that we've worked with um just the out of the box functionality for um, planning works for them you know because they're not as complicated and they have less dimensions and you know less data feeds, um, but with bigger companies, you can see that they might need more customization. Like the out-of-the-box functionality doesn't really work for them. Um, you know, they're just more complex. And you know, but we've successfully implemented many of those customized um, planning projects. Yeah, and just going back to my uh, when I worked in the industry when we implemented uh, financial closing consolidation we were formerly uh, consolidating everything in ex 
pretty much in Excel, which I was doing manually. So when we implemented financial closing consolidation, it, it shaved hours off the monthly close process with all the automation and the new functionality that we were able to, you know, really benefit from using financial closing consolidation. Yeah. No, those are really good stories to share, right? And I think that, you know, while there's a concept or, or a way to leverage pre-built frameworks, especially when, you know, maybe you're an organization that's never had a defined process before, I think that you save a lot of that legwork up front. And starting with the pre-built configuration says, let's, let's say this works for 80% of companies, let's try it out. If it works, great. Otherwise, we can modify based on that. But it should be more of a, why not use what thousands of other customers find successful? And then work backwards from there to say, okay, maybe we need to modify the way we're accounting for our you know, cost of revenue because that's actually you know, different from the out-of-the-box process or the pre-built framework. Uh, but then you know, in terms of having the, the consolidations and planning in one data model, um, you know, it seems as that at least to me and, and most, you know, executives that I talk to, they, they want to be able to plan the way they think about current business processes, but they need to close the books the way they're told to do so, right? Either by regulators, by their auditors or by their internal stakeholders and, and comply with, you know, U.S. GAAP reporting or IFRS or whatever the, the, um, the current um, uh, accounting standard is. Right, and Nihar, that seems like a no-brainer, right? For accounting and finances, you're going to want to have, you know, a different data model, whether you're working with actuals or FDMA. Is that not kind of standard practice across all EPM vendors? Well, no, I think that there, there is that capability, right? It's just uh, in terms of, um, you know, w it's hard to find, I think, one, you know, solution that really has it all. And, you know, while, while, while everybody knows that, that we implement Oracle, that's really why we choose Oracle, right, is because they have the ability to have those business case specific unique models like with things like freeform planning what we used to use in, in the on-prem days with S-Space. Uh, so you could have like a, you know, a sales specific application and kind of go outside the box a little bit. But also if you wanted to implement something that's more pre-configured or that it applies for US GAAP type reporting, that's also available to you as well. So you have the option rather than having to start in one place and then you know moving off of that into um, some more decentralized models. So I think the optionality allows us as implementers to really approach any customer with any unique business scenario to get um, to get some type of a success with a, a specific use case rather than having to wait until you know we start you know we implement the, the corporate ledger and then move downstream from there. So I think it what it allows for is for the line of business to own their models a little bit more closely because they're not having to get corporate buying on a massive project with a bunch of you know infrastructure and multiple teams involved they can get up and running pretty quickly which is nice yeah i think that's kind of a topic we could dive in on you know i'm relatively early in my career and i've only really been exposed to cloud applications but you know what did things look like when you wanted to implement let's say hyperion 10 12 years ago what was that initiative like oh yeah well i mean it's <laughs> a lot more complex <laughs> you get a box of Legos and no instructions. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it, I mean, it, look, there was, I, I think a lot of the concepts are similar, right? And I think everybody would agree that things, certain things don't change in terms of the way you design your, what we call an outline, which is a list of your dimensions and all of the sub um, categories under there, which are called members. Um, so that outline, which is really your metadata or your data model, um, that process and the way we think about things are, are similar, but now we have some guiding principles on how to 
build that rather than just like a blank whiteboard and it's okay a free-for-all and then you're doing things in the back end in terms of performance tuning and you know setting up um, some kind of um, uh, you know kind of building on to the to the beast um, you know in this creating this hairball of a, of a situation that's really customized and difficult to manage over the years and then what happens is that typically customers will um, you know, keep building on something that was implemented, you know, many years ago and not really think about it holistically. So now that we've got an opportunity to shift to the cloud, I think that, you know, um, to your point, Fletcher, about having to experience something new, I think that, you know, it probably started with Salesforce and, and some of these other SaaS companies um, that that started at first. But, you know, EPM Cloud was the first of the Oracle tools to, to have some of that pre-built nature in it that allowed these implementations to go a lot quicker. So you bring up an interesting point too, because um, there was a mentality when cloud first became a thing for everybody to go get sort of the, the, the best in class for each business process, right? So we saw lots of one-offs. So your hairball of, of um, applications can happen a, a couple different ways, but now we're seeing very much like with the Oracle EPM cloud, the ability to do many things in one tool, um, which I think a lot of companies are taking advantage of largely because number one, it's cleaner for IT and they don't need as much uh, infrastructure. Number two, it gives their users who use multiple business processes a day um, the ability to have a common UI and a common user experience. And number three, it just makes the data cleaner, right? If everything has to flow through the same um, same tool set, there's there's less ma ma maintenance of um, integrations and, and things like that. Yeah, totally. Um, there's there's probably you know a lot we can talk about when it comes to the cloud and the new tool sets, but you know, kind of um, uh, you know something that I've been thinking about lately is. You know, when when if you're a new customer or if you're in the market for a, an FP&A solution, and you're talking to you know, there's Anaplan, there's OneStream, there's uh, Adaptive and Oracle, and and a few others that are in those you know the top ten. Um, what are some of the ways that you know um, that what are some of the ways that we can kind of coach or, or guide our customers on? on different categories or aspects to look for and, and talk to and challenge their prospective vendors on um, in terms of the differences in the solutions. Uh, Fletcher, you talk to a lot of customers on a daily basis. Do you have um, anything, any insight from the, the deals that you're working on and what customers are typically looking for? Well, so it's, uh, you know, working with Oracle, you're not really working with a single business process or a single product, right? When I started Oracle, I think back in, what, 2017, they had just kind of gotten PBCS live um, functional parity with Hyperion and the other business processes were well on their way, but they were sold as individual SKUs, which is in large part how most of our competitors are point competitors, you know, adaptive and a plan, what are they called now, planful. Um, they're all selling just the tool just for the FTNA department. Whereas when you're going with the Oracle platform, you know, I always say it's the last layer of performance management you'll ever need to get. Um, the way that Oracle has strategically um, put together the platform in terms of user licenses is that you know, if you're the VP of FTNA, your same user license gives you access to the planning application, to the consolidated reporting, to account reconciliations, and to profitability and cost management. Um, so, I, you know, as a salesperson, it makes it a lot more straightforward to where you say this is everything you can do. And, you know, at EPMI, we've developed our cloud maturity model, which is kind of the crawl, walk, run, fly, not just for FTNA, but also for those other business processes. So, 
it's really more of a, a platform solution. And I would encourage, you know, anyone listening to, you know, really look in depth at what your company is trying to accomplish, not only on this one initiative, right, but, you know, three, five years down the road, are you going to be making a lot of uh, acquisitions? Are you going to be redesigning your chart of accounts? Are you introducing new products? Um, as we've kind of been hinting at as a theme, uh, Oracle is flexible in all the right places, right? With a integrated enterprise data management layer, you're able to manage your data hierarchies, whether it's in Workday, Salesforce. Um, so, you know, Oracle EPM plays well with other applications and also uh, will fit your business as you grow out here. But if you look at EPMI's uh, portfolio and our um, partnerships with different customers, you'll see customers kind of on along this uh, path to IPO, if you will, you know, standardizing processes, becoming compliant, um, really building the foundation for the office of the CFO um, using the same enterprise license that companies like, you know, Lockheed Martin, McDonald's, some of the biggest brands out in the world um, all use the same Oracle license. So um, I guess that's a long winded saying way of saying that, you know, Oracle is really the most complete platform that will scale with you um, across all business processes. And you work for EPMI, right? I work for EPMI. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that, well, that that is a good point. I mean, I think that, you know, we take that with a grain of salt because you are a salesperson and a great salesperson. But at the same time, you know, it, a lot of what you said is true, right? You know, we have this um, ability to, to have this platform where you don't have to start with one business process like just planning or just consolidations or just reporting. You can really pick and choose where you want to start. And that <laughs> enterprise license is a great way to go about that. Um, so Terry, you know, is there anything that is specific to, um, you know, the, the products themselves in terms of functionality or are they all pretty much the same? Um, so great question. <laughs> um, I think Fletcher pretty covered it on, covered it pretty well on the, the idea that you can get multiple business processes and in one with some products rather than others. Um, but I think there are some differences people should be aware of. Um, most everybody wants to move to cloud now because it's easier, right? We know that on-premise implementations and upgrades are, are challenging and time-consuming and, and, and really take a lot of effort from IT groups. And some of these products are not true cloud. You might get a URL to log into, but if you want to upgrade, it's really a on-premise solution that's hosted by another vendor. Um, people should be aware of that, right? Like take a look at things like that, or um, who owns your data when you're using their product? Do you own your data and you can easily pull it out? Or are you gonna have to jump through some hoops to be able to do that? Um, they're different in how data comes into the tool itself, right? Some EPM solutions require you to have a separate ETL tool to be able to bring data in. And I'm not technical, so I'm not trying to get technical here, but you know, you want a tool that you, you want an EPM solution that you're able to bring your data in relatively easily, hopefully with, with a tool set that's native to the application that you've purchased. I mean, I think if we start to compare just on can it do A versus B, there is some similarity in functionality a lot. If we're just comparing one business process to another business process, um, but everybody has a strength and everybody has a weakness. Um, some tools do one thing really well and the other things just at a bare minimum. Um, so I think if an organization is looking holistically at EPM, they need to look holistically at all the different processes. How deep does this solution go? How wide does this solution go? Can we leverage this across multiple groups in our organization? Or is this really just gonna become a best in breed for one department? 
Um, certainly lots of good options across the industry. I, I don't think it's a surprise to anybody that, that we implement the one that we think is the best. Um, and, but, but there are some, some valid differences to take a look at that could affect how you move forward. Because if you think you're going to be able to push a button and update your tool very easily, and you find out later, it's just like an on-premise upgrade, uh, somebody's going to have some splaining to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally get that. There's, there's quite a bit of, um, you know, of activity that we've seen in terms of customers that are trying to, you know, stay current on their systems. You know, there's a support, you know, for the 11.1.2.4 version, I believe that's going to be, um, you know, slowly um, deprecating as, as more customers move to the cloud. And, um, you know, they have a huge on-premise customer base that's still using Hyperion today, you know, like, I would think the last statistic was somewhere like 90% of the Fortune 2000 still use some form of Hyperion to do their financial reporting. Um, what what are the, um, I guess, how long do these projects last, guys? I mean, you know, these manufacturing customers tend to be, be pretty complex. Is it like, you know, what was it, was it, is it a few months, a few years? What are you guys seeing in terms of start to finish? Um, how, how, do you, how do you get a customer alive and what does that look like? Yeah. I'd yeah. say always less than a year, right? Yeah. So maybe like four to six months, depending on the complexity that they want to build in. Um, but for that, like we always encourage starting with a phased approach, right? Um, crawl before you walk, before you run. Yeah, I think I think for Western Digital, we had we had three different phases. I think we brought on um, over a hundred entities, you know, thousands of reconciliations, and it was a six to eight month project for all three of those phases. So yeah, less than a year. What about your customers, Krista? Um, I would say for the smaller customers, and maybe we can do an implementation within 12 weeks, but for um, the some of the larger ones, yeah, it's a, if it's a full build out, it's you know less than a year, but um, you know it takes time to get everything uh, configured and organized. But you know, I would say around six months it just really depends on the customer and the how complex their data is and all of their data sources and the integrations so. it's all also about getting to the source of the complexity right like there, we i've seen customers with really complex planning and forecasting processes to basically find like a one to two percent change in the prediction um, and they, that may not be very material or really important at the end uh, when it takes you an additional week to get that detail. So it's really defining the process. What exactly do we need? Can we boil it down to the point where you can be agile, flexible, and on time? That's that's a challenge. Yeah, and and there are different priorities at different stages, right? So, but, but, but three, 12 weeks, I mean, that sounds incredible. I know that, you know, it's, it's not a total surprise. I'm a, I'm a little bit joshing with you guys because I also work here, but um, just, hearing other customers ask us like how quickly we can get live and and to say something like 12 weeks that's like within a quarter they could have a brand new business process turned down i think that's that says a lot to the flexibility in the cloud compared to the on-premise days where you know you're looking at six to nine months minimum uh, for a lot of these um typical fpna use cases I think some of it depends too on how willing an organization is to take a look at what their current processes are today and why they do it the way they do it today. 
Um, I think what we're seeing, Fletcher and I both, in conversations with companies, um, is that a lot of people want to make things easier. So they're taking the opportunity while they're moving to cloud to sort of evaluate why they do what they do, the way they do it, and challenge their teams. Does it have to be done the way it's always been done, or is there a better way? So this is one of those inflection points when you're deciding to move to a new solution that you really can capitalize and make everything better, like not just the tool, but the process too. Yeah, no, that actually reminds me of a customer that we're working at right now. And, you know, they wanted to do a lift and shift to the cloud. So we said, okay, great, we can support that. But have you seen some of the features that you may, you know, just by the check of a box or by flipping a switch, we can turn on for you. Maybe not that quite simple, maybe um, a one day working session, but you have a, a brand new feature that you can enable for your team as you're doing that lift and shift, which is really um, doesn't add materially to the timeline. It's a relatively easy feature to roll out, and I think it will add a lot of value to your business in the way you're planning today. What are some of those features, Chen, that, that you've seen customers um, be interested in and um, maybe actually take advantage of as they're doing that lift and shift? Can they take advantage of some of these quick wins? Yeah, certainly. One of the coolest things that kind of blew my mind when I found out about it was this uh, auto prediction um, idea that's been brought into the planning side of the house um, where you can just take an existing data model. Uh, it can just be whatever you bring, auto, bring over from Hyperion or on-prem or, or Excel or whatever. Um, but as long as you have the data, as long as you have historical data for your drivers and your income statement and your financials or whatever you're trying to analyze, um, the cloud tool can actually now use statistical analysis to give you like a best case and worst case uh, prediction for the future. So you can actually have that run, run a prediction, and then check it against what your users are thinking for the future, and then reconcile that from there. So it's really another way to get you insights on your data. Yeah, and just to add to that, at Western Digital, there was a lot of, lot of processes that they had that we actually you know, advised them on and improved on where we were like, hey, account reconciliations can help you do this as well. And we were able to accommodate their needs and make the processes better. And then speaking to flexibility, usually, you know, if a client, what I've seen with the tool when, you know, a, a, a customer wants uh, something this done or this done, usually account reconciliations has the functionality to build it into that if, if you want, want, it done, want it done. Yeah, and I want to expand on that with um, a lift and shift project that Chin and I did together in manufacturing. I mean, it was, you know, it, initially supposed to be a lift and shift and we were actually the second um, uh, consulting team brought on the project because their first one um, you know never went live so we came in and um, we started to dig into their current processes and it was uh, quite a challenge to figure out how everything fell in line like who does what who owns you know what responsibility and Going through all of that um, took us quite a bit of time, but once we did, we realized, hey, you guys can do something, you can do this a lot quicker or easier. We can eliminate this side of it by automating something and just by going through their processes with them and then speaking with them and um, advising them on how they can um, improve their processes, they are able to cut down um, the timing of how of everything they do by a lot, and you know the calculations also 
we were able to cut down the time like running the calculations and it was just a not only a hey you're in the cloud now it was like a huge change to their process of budgeting and planning and that's like an opportunity too for them to reevaluate you know um, they may have been here for five years but their application was 20 years old so yeah. It's like, why are we doing this this way? Does anyone know? We've always done it this way. Right. And with that customer, they couldn't even document their process, right? So part of what you guys provided for them was an actual documentation of like what their process was. Because where they were at that point, if somebody got hit by a bus, they didn't know who was supposed to do that job in some, to some degree, right? Exactly. And that's, yeah. And a lot of companies have like that one person that knows everything. And so how is, how are this, the company going to function or be able to go through the processes if, if that something happens to that person? So yeah. if they win the lottery. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always hit people with a bus. I, I guess I should have people win the lottery. It's a little nicer. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because you are investing in a new technology, a new platform. There's, um, you know, a lot of high visibility. I think it makes sense to get some of those wins and just by as a feature of migration, you know, it's not all, oh, great, we've got to do, do another upgrade. It's this is the last upgrade we'll ever do. And, um, you know, as a part of that, we're going to get continued updates on a monthly basis. It's like plugging in your iPhone and you wake up with a new version, right? I think I've heard Terry say that before to a customer and I've used it ever since. So um, I, I think that that's a different set of, um, it's a different mindset, right? Especially when we compare against on-premise solutions or these hosted platforms where, you know, you have to go through a major technology shift as well as a functional process redesign or change. But I think what, what I really love about the cloud is that we can focus a lot more on enabling um, the depth of the business process rather than just getting, you know, our bare bones stood up for statutory reporting, for instance. Yeah, Nihar, when you're saying that, that reminds me of another project we uh, worked on specifically in the manufacturing industry, a legacy Hyperion financial management customer. Um, this was pretty interesting specifically for the pandemic and kind of the combination of on-premise to cloud, just the paradigm shift. But uh, during the pandemic, they'd actually have to send a representative from IT to their data center to go and manually change their uh, metadata as their chart of accounts evolved or they introduced a new product. So they had to physically get in their car, probably wearing a mask and gloves and go to, you know, a corporate site to go make a change. Uh, you know, for the business users, that's had to be immensely frustrating when they're trying to develop a report with a deadline waiting on, you know, an IT analyst, let's say, drive, you know, 30 minutes to go make a change. Um, and so as part of that product, the responsibility of really metadata management shifted from IT, uh, reducing that bottleneck and putting it directly in the hands of the business users who are closer to that data. Yeah, It's not unusual for a manufacturing company to have a decent number of those changes, right? You're, you're adding pro products, deleting products, you're adding new data all the time. But it yeah. seems like uh, Oracle's very uh, adaptive to clients' needs, like if a client, if they client suggests something they'll work it into their next updates from what i've seen with like account reconciliations yeah yeah that's sure. awesome right that they're so responsive on that but what something you were saying fletcher is something i wanted to hone in on you know th these cfos or you know our our stakeholders that we're trying to please they remind me a lot of veruca salt from willy wonka and the chocolate factory <laughs> 
It's like they don't just want it. They want it now <laughs> and they're not going to wait for it. Right. It's and, my data and I need it now. <laughs> exactly. I like to say that we live in a I want it now era because people even honk in the drive through lanes. Right. Like the drive through isn't fast enough. Everybody wants it immediately. Yeah, you don't. Yeah. Now it's too late. Right. It's like, you know, Amazon predicting what you want before you even know it. And so. Right. So, you know, when when you have that much data, I think we, you know, as as an organization, even here, here at EPMI, we we have our own challenges with data, but we've become really good, you know, as software vendors and as uh, implementation partners to collect the data. We're not so great at analyzing and making decisions on that data. And I think getting really meaningful insights. So, you know, we work a lot in the oil and gas space, but we also work in the data space. And personally, I think data is the new oil. Right. And, you know, Nihar, we work pretty heavily in the oil and gas space, right? You know, data is the oil of the 21st century and EPM is that tool that'll help you turn into gasoline. <laughs> the new the, <laughs> the new rig, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, um, ha having been having based out of Houston and, and Texas, you know, we, we do take pride in a lot of our local customers here and a lot of them happen to be in oil and gas. But, you know, we've also seen a lot of activity with uh, companies that implement solar technologies and alternative energy recently. Um, I feel like there's there's a, a bit of a shift in the overall, um, I guess, the, 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 the resource mix for energy that's happening. Um, you know, how, how do you think that, you know, oil and gas companies that like, you know, Brad and uh, Carissa, you guys are in, and Chen, you've always had a lot of experience with the oil and gas companies. How are they adapting to this change in, in demand? Yeah, I think they're just, you know, adapting to the market and the future the best the best way they can. I mean, like right now, oil I think just went back under sixty dollars a barrel. Do you feel like that's that's a, a critical um, point for for most companies? Where where do they tend yeah. to be profitable? Yeah, I think sixty dollars is usually that critical critical dollar point. But one thing that I've noticed is when you're going through the planning cycle and the price of oil is up and down like weekly <laughs> and then you are, have to have a you know a new uh, budget ready for your cfo like based on the new oil price and that's happening like every other day you need that real-time data you need those the ability to to re-budget re-forecast based on the newest um, oil price and then immediately get those reports up to management so that they can make some decisions. But it's not even it's not even just the price of oil and oil and gas, right? If we talk about if we, if we bring it back to manufacturing, look what happened a couple of weeks ago with a vessel getting stuck <laughs> in the Suez Canal and how that affected everything, right? right? Um, everybody's supply chain got totally thrown off Kilter. I'm certain that there were quite a few of uh, FPNA folks uh, reforecasting and, and and pivoting on the fly to get reports to upper management so that they could make decisions based on okay if that vessel gets unstuck on Tuesday versus if it gets unstuck on Friday. I think that's a direct you know um, example of how the supply chain plan directly influences the financial plan, right? Because sure. uh, nobody was planning on this to happen and. Um, you know, the more we collaborate across different departments, um, the better and more accurate, you know, 
data we can get for our Veruca salts. <laughs> <laughs> and we can bring all that stuff in now as drivers, you know, like we can have feeds from all these external sources, not just for oil prices or exchange rates, but things like, you know, the water supply in Taiwan, which is key to the semiconductor industry. Um, any sort of data source, we can now use the power of cloud and REST APIs to actually bring that in to kind of inform your financial plan. That's really cool, right? Because you know, these macroeconomic indicators that are available to us and, and really do drive a lot of these larger companies and the way they operate is, is something that you know, would, would really be helpful if you get that automated so that you're not having to manually manage that or not able to run those scenarios because it's too much effort. I always think about the companies that are heavily affected by um, big changes in the weather, right? So um, I remember when I was a kid, and, and I remember it specifically because at the time my grandfather lived surrounded by orange groves in Florida. And if it froze in Florida, you know, the price of not just oranges, but orange juice was affected and supply was affected. And um, so those market indicators aren't even just financial markets. Something as simple as the weather um, can be a, a factor in influencing what a company's forecast is. So speaking of the weather and speaking of being on time, on budget, we're coming at the top of our time for this first episode. And, um, you know, never, no matter the weather, um, you know, we can do these podcasts on a regular basis and um, we hope to put out some some hot and fresh content for you guys um, on a on a regular schedule to be determined but thank you guys for indulging us for this first experimental inaugural podcast of the next dimension i want to thank everybody uh, for coming in today you know brett carissa chen terry and all the way from denver colorado alex and fletcher on the on the zoom call so appreciate you guys for your time and effort and you know i think that i hope actually that you know our listeners got something out of this and um you know there's there's a lot to a lot to take into account you know the world's changing technology's changing and um what we want to offer is just a little bit more depth and our you know unique um humble perspective on what we've seen and how well we can maybe offer to the community as some lessons learned or things to consider so thanks everybody and we'll see you next time <laughs>